गुरुर्ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णुर्गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरु साक्षात्ब्रह्म तस्म श्री गुरव नम आई बाउ टू गॉड आई बाउ टू माई गुरु एज गॉड आई बाउ टू दैट सेम गॉड इन यू वेन गॉड टॉक्स टू गॉड वेन गॉड लिसन्स टू गॉड When God plays with God and acts with God in this world, how wonderful life is. We think that we need to emphasize our egos, but in fact the more we can eliminate them, and I do I want to emphasize once again as I've done before that in eliminating the ego I don't mean to suppress it. I mean to expand it that your self, your deeper self is in all and when you can have that kind of feeling that kind of relationship with them life becomes so sweet and also you learn so much from people you don't feel that you've got to tell everybody else you listen you listen to life you try to see what message is that quivering leaf on a tree has for me it's it's a uh, you see the sunrise you don't think oh that's a sunrise you think well what does what does it mean what is god saying through the sunrise he speaks to you to each one and the more you listen the more he does so literally and so today i would like however to read you one in which uh because there was a period in my gurudev's life when i i got to spend a lot of time um with him after his he finished his uh, bhagavad gita interpretations and he was talking about um many things in his past people he had known and so on more than i could ever did with anybody but i don't know i'm sure he had a reason for it it was certainly enlightening this was one of the odd stories he told me it was in well let me read it to you it's in conversations with yogananda the master favored calm determined renunciation over emotional world rejection when one feels emotional rejection there usually lingers inside him also a subconscious attraction so you see opposites always attract it's as i was saying before like a pendulum the more you push the pendulum in this direction the more it's going to swing the opposite direction during a discussion with me at his desert retreat he told me the following story I met a young woman years ago in Mexico City. She taught yoga and was very committed to this path. One day I asked her, "How do you feel about marriage?" Her answer quite surprised me. "I have given my life to God," she fairly shouted with intense vehemence, "and I will continue to serve him alone without a mate, faithfully, devotedly, every year of my life forever until I die." My goodness I exclaimed <laughs> why that emotion one must renounce feelings also i was going to compliment you on your spiritual commitment seek god lovingly seek him one pointedly but seek him also with deep calmness now it's very important to understand that if you want to achieve the spiritual goal there must be fervor there must even be intense fervor but you won't find that kind of re- emotional rejection there should also be 
a certain amount of humor. Like when my Guruji was uh, almost compromised into a position where he had to marry a young girl when he was a young man. The guests had all been invited. They were there for the wedding feast, and suddenly this bride was introduced to him. It was practically like that. He always had a wonderful sense of humor about it. No, he didn't want marriage. That was that. He didn't have to make a big thing of it. And uh, so he said, well, I, to the guests, the only reason you're disappointed by my refusal is that you're going to miss a good feast. Well, I won't disappoint you. And so he got the girl, uh, got a cousin of his to agree to marry the girl, and the guests had their feast. But uh, it makes me remi- reminds me of a um, Sadashiv, I think it was. It was a saint in South India who was a very devoted person. He used to, as a young man, he used to do a lot of scripture reading and lived a calm life of meditation and prayer. And one day he found the house was full of all sorts of commotion. He said, well, what is this? Oh, your bride-to-be is coming. He thought, my goodness, if just the prospective coming can create so much commotion, what would her actual coming do? So he slipped out the door that night and never went home again. Well, that takes a certain amount of courage, but you see, he didn't do it emotionally. There has to be firmness, yes, but it doesn't have to be emotional. Because as I said, when there is emotional in the rejection, there is usually a lingering. As my Guruji said, when there is fear, that means a karma hasn't yet been overcome. Once you've really overcome a karma for any particular, uh, whatever it may be, a test, it might be a desire, uh, disappointment, whatever, if there's a fear of it, uh, like a fear of death, for example, then you haven't overcome that karma yet. When you are completely impersonal, that impartial, that is when you can be more sure, and that's the way to overcome even now. So if you feel this intense rejection, give it to God. Like that young woman, she would have done better. I don't know what happened to her. Frankly, I suspect she did get married eventually, but I don't know. He didn't tell me, and I have no idea who she was or anything. But the emotion with which she acted, from my observation of human nature, it leads me to think that probably she did, in the end, um, get married. And so, at any rate, what I'm trying to say is that when you are, when you decide to give up for God, do it calmly, with great determination. Don't get yourself, don't your, let your emotions get into it, because anything you do with emotion, it always is something not quite right with it. Just give your life to God, say, I want you, but you will see that any real determination that you have, it will have a calmness in it and behind it. This was the beauty of, you see, I live when I'm not in India, and when I'm not in America, I live in Assisi in Italy, because we have an Ananda community there also. And uh, Assisi in Italy is the home of St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi. He's one Christian saint who's loved all over the world because he loved God. The church tries to claim him as its own, says it was because of the church and because he was a loyal son of the church, therefore he became a 
saint, well, I say garbage. He loved God. One of the beautiful things about his life was the joy he had in living for God. And in that, his father one time, um, see, he was a very joyful young man, but it was an innocent kind of joy. People make a big thing about his being very worldly. No, he, he enjoyed the world because he thought that's all there was to enjoy until God changed his whole consciousness. But it was an innocent, as I said, an innocent joy. And uh, However, in that innocence, his father was the wealthiest merchant in the town. And St. Francis worked in his shop, but St. Francis couldn't help giving away the products, and his father just uh, um, was outraged. Well, St. Francis went to a church to meditate. It was tumbling down in ruins. And he saw this, and he looked at the altar, and Jesus appeared to him on the altar and said, Repair my church. And he thought he was talking about this church, because obviously that's what needed repair. And God often tests us in that way. He gives us a teaching that we think means this, but really it means much more. It's sort of it's a teaching that enables us to prepare ourselves for a larger vision. And so, in that way, St. Francis used to um, go out and um, carry rocks on his back to help rebuild the church. There was a, a very interesting thing. He didn't know architecture, and he had to reconstruct a fallen arch, and he didn't know how to do it. But because he did it with God, and you'll find this is true, that if you do it with the thought that you're doing it for God and give it to him, and he invented a new kind of arch. It's become a standard part of architecture now. But anyway, he gave away a lot of his father's goods so that he could have the money to rebuild this church, and his father was just furious. And he called him in front of the bishop and denounced him and uh, as a thief. And St. Francis, first, he, first the father wanted him to hail, to hail him before the civil courts, and St. Francis said, I, this is a spiritual matter, I must go before the bishop. And then in front of the bishop he said that I, from now on, I renounce you as my father, and I, I claim only God, my father in heaven, as my true father. And he took off all the outer garments that his father had bought him as his own son, laid them at his father's feet, and walked out in his underclothes, except that the bishop then, seeing him um, so stripped of clothing, put his own mantle around him. But in that total poverty, he went out to serve God. How many people in India have lived like that? And what a wonderful way it is when you really understand that there's no purpose in living except to know your own creator, your own source of life. God is your father, as I've sung. God is your mother. God is your, your friend, your companion, your w wisdom, your riches, your everything. When you can do that, worldly people scoff and say, well, but who's going to pay the bills and so on? But really you find that God does take care of you.
I have seen this happen many times. My Guruji had to face so many tests in life. Always God took care of him. One day, because you see, he was not that interested in organization. It was just sort of a way of, uh, like his guru told him, that an organization is the hive, but God is the honey. There's nothing wrong with having hives uh, as a means of gathering and storing the honey of devotion and of love for God. But it's the love for God that matters. And people who get so hooked up on organizations that they make that their God, that isn't the way of the great gurus. That's not the way of God. The more we live in the thought that my life is his only, I'm not living for, for any other thing, you'll be amazed how there really is a law. Actually, and Vivekananda put it this way, Swami Vivekananda, he put it very well. He said that when you give up things and turn away from them, that's when the world chases after you. The more you give up, that's why Jesus said, whoever gives all for me, I give back a hundredfold. And he added persecution. Because you can't go against the ways of the world without the world saying, wait a minute, what's he trying to do? If you were to become a drunkard, they'd ignore you. But when you try to do something better, that's when they start persecuting you. And so persecution, yes, it's a part of the game. But don't worry about it. It's just the sort of shadows that help give light um, and substance on a beautiful statue. You will see that in a good painting, you have to create that contrast. There has to be darkness, because with the darkness you can bring out the illusion of light. So also in life, you will see... In fact, I remember there was a painting I did, and somebody who knew about painting, as I didn't really, she pointed out that where there's a shadow, where, there's the, where the light and the shadow meet, it always is a little bit, seems a little bit darker right at that point, because the eye has to adjust before it uh, becomes accustomed to the dark part. Well, this is how life is. The contrasts, that which seems darkest sometimes, is just that little bit of contrast to the light. I have noticed that in the lives of those who just decide that I'm only for God, I only want to live for Him, and I give everything to Him, that although He tests you, He may test you to the point of making you think that He's taken everything from you. But if you hang on, you will see that it's not wishful thinking. It's not dreaming. It is amazing how even in the midst of a wilderness, God will take care of you. There are legends among the Christian saints of uh, being out there where no one, there was no one to feed them, and a raven would bring them bread. These are not just legends. I have seen with my own eyes how God does take care of his devotees. You know, some friends of mine went to Drongiri Mountain um, near Raniket, and uh, they went to the top of that of a, a mountain. I think it was Drongiri itself. And they met a sadhu up there. He'd been living there in seclusion for many years. They said to him, well, what do you eat? He said, I have a little pot here, and uh, anything I want, it just manifests. Well, 
These are miraculous powers, but in fact, there are lots of yogis who live that way too. God can take care of you in extraordinary ways. That the, the, uh, he would just put whatever he wanted in that, and it would come out a beautiful curry or bananas or whatever you want. It may sound impossible, but you know my guru one time, uh, he had some guests in his ashram in Encinitas, and we had a processing plant there where people, uh, where they made very good carrot juice. Well, he wanted to serve these guests some carrot juice, but the man came back and said, well, there's only enough for a glass. Well, there were about, I don't know, 15 guests or whatever, a number of them. So Gurdjie says, well, bring what you have. And he had it in a pitcher, and he poured, and he kept pouring. And although from that there was only that one glass, from that one glass he was able to feed, to uh, give this delicious carrot juice to all those guests. He didn't say anything. Uh, he didn't explain this as a miracle, but this person saw it with his own eyes, my brother disciple. God can take care of you, but first you have to take care that you remember him. And so, praise God all the time, like this song that was inspired by the life of St. Francis. Praise ye the Lord, all creatures. Joy to you.